This is City AM Unregulated. I'm Zach Meir. And I'm Emma Hazlett. On this week's show... Jacqueline Gold, CEO of Anne Summers. One board member actually stood up and said, look, you know, this isn't going to work. Women aren't even interested in sex. It obviously said a lot more about his sex life <laughs> than it did about my idea. She's also an ambassador of the Retail Trust, a champion of women entrepreneurs and a prominent pro-Europe campaigner. It could take three years for it all to settle down and for us to distangle ourselves from Brussels. As a medium-sized business, I don't have three years. Jacqueline Gold, CBE, thanks for joining us. It's been 35 years since you walked into the Anne Summers boardroom and told an all-male panel their business model was, for want of a better word, rubbish. What kind of resistance did you get? I mean, that was crazy when I look back, you know, because one board member actually stood up and said, look, you know, this isn't going to work. Women aren't even interested in sex. And I, I, I tell that story a lot because, you know, obviously at the time I couldn't say anything because I was looking for funding, but it, it obviously said a lot more about his sex life <laughs> than it did about my idea. Um, and I'm grateful to all the women that have proved him wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you've got 140 stores now gone up you've gone up from four stores can you talk a bit about that kind of mad period of growth well the mad period really was when I founded the party plan which was right at the beginning and there were four stores uh, at that time and the party plan was growing at a rate of you know 20 percent a year in fact the first year I, I started with eight uh, party ambassadors and then grew to 500 within less than a year I had to stop advertising because I couldn't cope with the teething problems but then as time went on and and we established the party plan we were then able to sort of create that female friendly uh, environment if you like in the store and we can you know we changed the stores that we had Um, in fact I think we sold them and then opened new stores that, of course, are, are the stores that we have today. Was that an American idea that you, you brought over to the UK? And is it, is it also that the society changed from the 80s, maybe the Thatcher idea that women became more com- confident in their in themselves, in their sexuality, in they had more disposable income? Is it with a, a, a combination of factors? Uh, it, it wasn't really any of those, I, I have to say. It certainly wasn't an American idea. I was invited to a sort of a, a Tupperware-style party, um, better known as Pippa D then, and it was women at the party knew that I was doing work experience at Ann Summers and said, you know, we want to be able to buy sexy underwear. Now, we take it for granted. You can buy sexy underwear in Topshop, you know, anywhere in the high street, Primark. you Primark, but you couldn't then, you know. And uh, women could certainly couldn't buy um, adult toys to spice up their marriages. You know, it was, you know, they, well, they could if they went into a sex shop, but women didn't want to do that. So... There clearly was, you know, I really saw this demand for, um, you know, for women, but it needed to be in an environment that they felt comfortable in, which is really where the home parties, how the home parties started. So really, the parties became an induction into going into the store. You know, and was, the other thing is that the brand itself, Anne Summers, is just a, you know, you, you, you hear it and you, I don't know, it brings a smile to your face or it cheers you up or it's a bright and breezy brand. I don't know, that's a simplistic way of talking about it, but you did develop a you know, wonderful brand as compared to the some seedy shop in, in Soho, which is the, the previous image of, you know, the, the pre-1980s image of um, underwear and um, sex toys and things like that. I have to say, Zach, it's one of the things I'm most proud of because, you know, I've taken it really from uh, raincoat brigade, in inverted commas, to really what's become 
uh, a female institution. And, you know, women are very proud to say that they, they go to Anne Summers parties. And like you say, they're fun. And it's something for women only. Do you think, has something changed, though, since then? Do you think women feel more confident going into, kind of marching into an Anne Summers store? And... Oh, completely. I mean, you know, 80% of our customers in store are women anyway. Um, in fact, it's gone full circle from 10%. To now, I'm thinking, how do we get more men back into the store? Um, yeah, I think, you know, of course, women are so much more empowered in their professional lives and in their private, you know, their personal lives. And they were 35 years ago when I started. And I, I sort of like to think that, you know, myself and Anne Summers has played a part in that in that revolution. Is the brand still as reliant on those parties as it was back then? No, it's not. And that's because we're in a totally different landscape now. You know, retail, you've got to be multi-channel. In fact, you've got to be omni-channel. It's got to be a seamless experience. You've got to offer as many routes to market as possible. You know, we have four routes to market. Um, and that's just one part of the Anne Summers experience. Does that Has that kind of hindered the, the women who are running those parties and the kind of the small entrepreneurs, if you will? No, because I, I you know, this is something that, um, you know, in our business, everybody works together and we, we use the benefit of each channel promotes the other channel. So, you know, yes, it would do if you, if you work, if you operated in silo, but, you know, it's very much we're, you know, constantly, you know, looking at the bigger picture. Right, just a, a couple of questions that I can't resist asking. Uh, first, you, you mentioned about men. You know, most most women, it's women who mostly shop at Anne Summers. Uh, I would have to go there with a in a very with a big beard and a heavy disguise. Uh, I think. <laughs> you, um, so that's one. So is, is there something that is it something that you want to uh, attract men? You know, rather than buying flowers, they buy you know the 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 girl or the, the lady uh, um, underwear. I mean, I'm I was I'm too scared to buy. Um, any woman underwear because it's like you know they'll think I'm a sex maniac or something uh, are those attitudes still there I mean also, also for the older older man as well which I'm, I'm 49 so that I'm from that generation have things changed as well in that in that way yes I think it is it, you know there is an element of there being a generation thing because I think you know men you know historically have felt felt clumsy going into anywhere that had lingerie and you know whether it be Debenhams or you know and Summers is you know two different um, experiences um, and we just try to do what we can to you know make men feel as comfortable as possible coming into the store and we do sort of campaigns around Valentine's and you know Christmas um, and obviously we're commun communicating to guys on social media I think that's a you know a has always been a very good way for us. So I do think it is, certainly we, we find with the, the younger generation that they're, they're much more, it, you know, it's, it's sort of everyday normal to them. And the old over 40s lost cause? I, I'm picking my words carefully, <laughs> as you can probably tell. That was, that was one thing I was uh, in my you know deep and depth research uh, for this uh, this interview. Uh, it's all about young people. It's all about. It seems to be for me twenty something people. Um, it must be a big market in the in the old codgers like myself as well, and, oh, and the you know people yeah, there. Of with. course, I mean it's interesting actually because I, I I feel quite strongly about the whole you know customer focus. You know we're very customer centric in everything we do and always have been, but we've noticed that our our primary customer is really 18 to 24 our very close secondary customer you know is 25 to 35 and we sort of figure that you know the the older customer wants to be younger and the younger customer wants to be older so we we really sort of pitch um everything we do around that sort of 24 year old uh that 24 year old customer but you know 
setting that aside, you go to an Anne Summers party and you'll have three generations at any one party. Um, you know, when we when we look at the profile of customers in our store, you know, we have a lot of older customers coming into the store as well. So, you know, I think our product range reflects that. And I think it's, you know, the, uh, you know, we're, yes, we're much more fashion led. So we're definitely trying to appeal to that younger customer. Um, but then we have premium product and more sophisticated product. And also we find um, that the older customer are more interested in, in buying the adult toys. So... Right. No, just uh, the, the it just struck me that um, it, from a business perspective, there must be such a, a big market in the you know the over forties, over fifties, and that would be the opportunity for growth in the future if you could tap into that. Well, I think we are already tapping into that. I think that we now feel that you know with the advent of social media, which is obviously followed much more by the younger generation and the profile of customers that are coming into our store, you know, it's it our our job is to to appeal to to both, but communicate to them in different ways, and to provide product that interests both. Right. Uh, you did have an advantage though with your father, David Gold, running the company, and he's still chairman. Was it then, and is it now, possible for anyone, male or female, to get in, ahead in business without a family connection? If you've got fifty pence in your pocket, can you make it a million pounds? Well, first of all, I'm hugely proud of my father, and he's you know been a great inspiration to me, but. We have bought two football clubs and we couldn't have done that without the success of Ann Summers. So, you know, I think that, um, for, you know, I, I feel that I've certainly earned my colours. Um, and can you get into, you know, I've had a, a huge number of hurdles throughout my career. So absolutely, yes. Um, you know, of course, if you've got support from your family and you take advantage of opportunities that are there, then that's really what, doing business is about it's about seeing those opportunities and actually saying yes I'm going to step outside my comfort zone I'm going to give up you know my my nine to five job or I'm going to use my redundancy on this idea um in the same way that I was working I had no intention of staying at Ann Summers it was a very male dominated business at that time um but I, I, that, I guess it was that challenge that inspired me. But clearly your father was inspired as well. He thought, you know, my daughter, yeah, she's got the makings of a, a great businesswoman. I'm not sure he saw that right at the beginning. He would, if he was sitting here now, he would say to you that he cried when I was born because I wasn't a boy. And, um, you know, he'll turn around now and say, thank God she was a girl. <laughs> um, but I think that was, again, you know, my father's nearly 80 and... That was a that again was a generation thing, but um, we we have the most amazing relationship now. Do you feel like having your dad there as as inspiration to you made it easier for you to become an entrepreneur and to kind of take the risks associated with running your own business, because he'd done it before you and you could see that it was not as impossible. Um, well, you know you've got to remember the first year's turnover was eighty three thousand. It's now one hundred and fifty million. So. Um, it's a lot easier to take risks when you've got 150 million yeah. than it is when you're dealing with a, a small, uh, um, what at the time was a, a small mail order business, and four sex shops which actually had to be closed because the government at that time had brought out the licensing laws. So my father's core business, um, you know, was in was in publishing. Um, so the challenges were just different. I mean, the challenges I had then were. Um, you know, the resistance to what I was doing, the fact that councils, 
you know, didn't understand what I was doing. You know, I'd get in a, a taxi and, and I'd say, oh, take me to the office, you know, take me to the office. I'd ask to go to the office and they'd say, oh, you're not going in there, are you? You know, you know what goes on in there. So there were there were huge amounts of uh, challenges. And you probably know I received a bullet through the post in 1999 when I tried to open a store in Dublin. Nothing can, pre- can prepare you for that, not even, you know, an inspiring father, because... You know, if you if you're suddenly sent through a, a bullet in the post because you're intending to an, open a store on O'Connell Street, only you can make that decision whether you're going to go ahead with it. I'm um, not sure I did know about that. What what happened? How do you feel when you get a bullet through the post? I mean, it was um, absolutely horrendous. Our, we were doing hugely successful with parties at that time, and I knew that uh, we would do well in in Ireland, in Southern Ireland. So um, I set about opening a store um, on O'Connell Street, but when the council, in fact, they were called the Dublin Corporation, then got wind of it, they tried to stop us. So I, in, and I'm trying to make this story quite quick, but I, I invited them over to to the UK, uh, to London, to meet with me, to see our stores, to see what we were trying to achieve. But these guys really had their own agenda, and their their parting words to me were, look, if you go ahead and open this store... We cannot be held responsible for what might happen to you. So how did you make the decision? How, What did you have to factor in to decide that we're going to go ahead with it? Well, I, I you know, I listen, I've been arrested twice. So prior to that, and it was just about not wanting to be bullied. And I felt so passionate about what I was doing and and the, the demand for, you know, our, our lingerie, our sex toys and what, you know, empowering women in the bedroom. That's really what I wanted to do. Um, so that's really what, what pushed me ahead, even, and it was nothing to do with the Dublin Corporation getting this bullet, but it was just, you know, unbelievable that that happened. Um, and I went ahead with the store opening, um, and not only, we received a writ on the first day of opening, uh, to close us down, and not only did we win the court case, but, uh, Dublin is now one of our top three performing stores, um, and it's also on the tourist bus route, which I think uh, speaks volumes. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so you've really embraced social media. You've got about 55,000 followers on Twitter and City AM has listed you as the 15th most powerful woman entrepreneur on Twitter. Um, one thing you've really pushed is the WOW campaign, the WOW campaign. That's not just promoting women entrepreneurs, but it's where any working opportunity for women why do we need something like this in 2016? Well, I, I went on Twitter about five five years ago and obviously I had a, a lot of um, women following me, but I was just amazed by their businesses and how fantastic their businesses were. And the subject that kept coming up over and over in dialogue on Twitter was that many of these women had lo- left top jobs in big corporations because they felt impacted by the glass ceiling culture. Um, and therefore had left to go on, go on to do their own businesses. Now, I mean, I could talk about this subject for ages, but it's something I feel incredibly passionate about. We have so many talented women in this in this country that, you know, business leaders um, are missing out on that talent within their organisations. Um, and I guess what I recognised is that is one that is one problem. When I think I have in my career, I've contributed one and a half billion to the economy. You know, to think that there are so many other women that could be contributing to our economy that aren't um, because of that glass ceiling culture. 
But at the same time, not only do I want to sort of empower women in the boardroom, but also is to, you know, help women's confidence and, you know, give them the advice that they need, um, you know, for those that have decided to um, develop their own businesses. And there are some fantastic businesses out there. I do this competition every Wednesday where women tweet me their business. I then select my top three. I, re- I retweet them and profile them. And then I do a, a, a mentoring lunch for the top overall three for the year. And I do a men- uh, a sort of a learning day at our head office, which I know these, these ladies find absolutely invaluable. Something, I mean, uh, I, I had a discussion in, in this area on a previous podcast. Uh, the, it seems to me that the corporate environment is, is very male. Uh, um, the structure is, you know, the hierarchical structure is, you know, suits men. It doesn't suit the way that, you know, the way women work and the way women think. And uh, that really needs to change as much as anything else. Maybe more a partnership structure than a hierarchy or the pyramid that there's in place at the moment, the CEO, the top dog. Uh, etc. Is that something you go along with? Does the actual structure of the the workplace need to change as well? I mean, Zach, there are so many things that need to change. You know, I've spoken about this on numerous occasions on, you know, conferences, at panels. I spoke at the Tory party conference for a fringe event. I've been speaking to government on, on, you know, how I can support and and help with this. Um, And whilst, you know, I think there are lots of things that can be done, you know, from from school age, you know, I've got a five-year-old daughter who I want to grow up feeling that this is the norm, you know, to, um, but but in direct answer to your question, I think it's about culture change and more than it is actually legis- legislation. And I think that we need more role models. We need women to believe that they can, you know, that it is possible that they can achieve. And I think that business leaders need to see the business case um, for their business. So, you know, the figures are undoubtedly in favour of mixed boards outperform those that have all male boards. It really is a no brainer. But again, I, you know, hopefully it's a generation thing and things will improve as time goes on. But I've been talking about this for 35 years. So, you know, I, you know, it's, it's, I think, really uh, shameful that we're still having this conversation. How easy is it for you to find the, uh, to hire the women to do the jobs in, in, for Anne Summers or in, in Anne Summers? Oh, well, I think if you have a culture like ours, which is very embracing of, you know, my board is made up of 50-50 men and women. That's not because I have this campaign. It's because I believe you have to recruit the best person for the job. And anybody that comes to work at Anne Summers knows that that is the culture that we have. So, of course, women that want to be empowered and love our brand naturally gravitate to our business. Um, and I, you know, my advice to women is that they need to look for brands that they believe share the same values as they do. You said you've been talking about this for 35 years. Has the problem changed from kind of overt sexism to something more unconscious? Um, I, 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 I think it's just been a very slow evolution of change and you know the government for example has brought out um you know shared parental leave and 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 i i really i have to say i i you know welcome these changes but now even men who are taking advantage of those um those benefits are experiencing the same challenges that women experience so you know suddenly we're seeing that these are you know the problem is mu- much broader and you know, I, I, there is so you know, there's so much more that needs to be done. 
because you waited quite long to have children or you had children quite late on your, in your life do you feel like if you had done it earlier that would have held you back in your career well I think you have to do you know you have to do what's right for you and you know it's about being with the right person and uh, you know I was um, I guess I just wasn't in the right mindset you know I was ambitious um, I was and still am actually you know extremely excited about the future and the opportunities I think that coupled with not being with the right person, you know, just takes you on a certain path. Um, and then, you know, when when I sort of met my husband, I, um, you know, I, I thought I, I, I can do both. And I have proved that you can do both. I think you, you just handle it better when you're older because you're calmer, you have more resource, um, you know how to ask for resource, you know, to support and... Um, yeah, I, I think it's um, it's been better for it's worked out better for me. Right, you've been uh, tweeting about Europe. Apparently, you're pro EU. Any particular reason why? Well, I can only answer this from my own business perspective. There are three reasons why I personally feel we should stay in the EU. The first reason, fundamentally, is consumer confidence. Your consumer confidence for retailers are at an all-time low right now on the back of the recession and now the uncertainty of the EU. You know, I, you, you hear different things every day, but, um, you know, we're very fortunate that we're in the top third of uh, retailers, you know, performance-wise, wide, but that's still not where we had um, forecasted. So um, I just, the thought of the consumer confidence being affected even more and we're told that it could take three years for it all to settle down and for us to distangle ourselves from Brussels as a medium-sized business I don't have three years we don't have three years and I think that if you're in any doubt surely you have to put the economy first because once you know the economy is the strongest it's been in the last two years um, I don't think we should be jeopardizing that that's my first reason the second reason is that um Two thirds of my warehouse is made up of Europeans because I, my business is based on the edge of, of London. Um, I have some great people, my warehouse manager who's been with me for 20 years, you know, to have. And they're on the same salary, by the way, in case for any doubt, as the, the other third. But Europeans tend to prefer, you know, quite happy to work those more unsociable hours that you have in retail. Um, and to take that talent away from me would be devastating for my business. My third reason is I did actually trade in both Germany and Denmark 35 years ago. Great appetite for our product, our concept. But the red tape, the the challenges around customs and, and uh, getting product in and out of Europe was horrendous that we actually had to pull out. Now, obviously, the EU has evolved tenfold a hundredfold since then and for me to come out would just be going it would be like going backwards and it, I would fear about my own expansion plans. Do you think the campaigns have been quite strong? Do you know I think they're confusing I think it's complex I think it's very difficult for for the public because they are complex issues um, and I you know I think even for business people it's complex and um you know, I think it's good that we're going to see some TV debates coming up. I think the Prime Minister is uh, speaking on the 2nd of June, which I'm really looking forward to hearing. Um, and I think it's important, just like the general election, that the, the public can see those, you know, those arguments outside of all of the noise and the headlines, which I think so often can cloud 
uh, our judgment. Um, but my advice, oh, my advice, my view, because it's, you know, my view is put the economy first, because if you have a strong economy, we can then pay for the services and all the other things that we so much need in, in our country. The retail sector has taken a hammering recently. April's figures showed the high street enduring its hardest drop in sales since the credit crunch. We've lost BHS and Austin Reed. What's the route out of this for the sector? It is really challenging for retail. You know, we've obviously got the challenges around the uncertainty of, of the EU. Um, I think that the that retail are taking the burden of a, a lot of uh, taxes, such as, you know, the national living wage. Obviously, that's not a tax, but that is a, a financial burden. The uh, apprenticeship levy, we've got the, the burden of um, business rates. In comparison to our pure play rivals who can operate 24-7 without the same financial burdens that we have. And, you know, to have, I mean, personally, I was a fan of the Sunday trading reform and obviously that that uh, was not to be, but I think that would have gone some way to help even out a fair level playing field. Um, and I think it's when you look at companies like BHS, which, you know, is a heritage business, isn't it? Like, um, like Walrus was. Um, but, you know, it just shows, and it goes back to my earlier point, it really shows that as a retailer, you know, we've got to be forward thinking. We've got to take into account what the next generation wants from from retailing um, because they are the ones that are driving change. They want to be able to shop 24-7. They want that interactive experience. And unless you're, pre- you know, unless you're prepared to embrace change within your within your brand you know you're you're going to you're going to die you're going to fall by the wayside and i th- i fear that's really what happened with you know i know there are other complications but i fear that's partly what happened with bhs i think it no longer had a place on the high street i mean there was that campaign hashtag save bhs do you think that's it's just kind of it's over for bhs people need to let sleeping dogs well, lie well it didn't reinvent itself did it and i think that that is what brands are having to do you know you've got to constantly we Zach, we were talking about the customer earlier. You know, you've got to constantly be listening to your customer, reinventing yourself and not just appealing, as I think they did, to that older customer. You know, you've got to keep it fresh. And, and uh, you know, that's what Marks and Spencers are doing. You know, they're trying to pull in that younger customer all the time. Isn't it true that Antarmas is much more of a, a, non, a recession-proof type of business, that uh, whatever the state of the market is, uh, people will still always want to be, you know, turning up your shop. I, I wish that was right. I really wish that was right. I was going to say something else. But, uh... um, no, I, I, I know where you're coming from. And I think that, um, you know, and summers is fun, isn't it? We were talking about values earlier. So obviously, you know, it's, um, it's uh, good for, an, uh, you know, it's the good for a night in, let's put it that way, if I'm going to be, uh, be careful in what I say. But it's not recession proof. You know, we're now we've got 140 stores on the high street. We've got 98% brand recognition. You know, we are competing with every other lingerie brand and every other um, adult sex toy retailer online. Well, I was just saying, saying, talking about you know, the older market. Are there any other areas you might want to expand into, um, you know, sort of holidays or um, education or, or whatever. I mean, is, is it or is it just going to stick? You're going to stick to the oh, core. Absolutely business? not. I mean, I, for me at this moment in time, I think the two exciting opportunities for us is um, overseas expansion, providing we can sort our EU situation out. 
Um, and, you know, Amazon are doing great with partnerships at the moment. We have partnerships, a fantastic partnership with ASOS, um, you know, with a number one lingerie uh, supplier with uh, partner with um, Shop Direct. We've got great uh, partnership with House of Fraser, uh, the perfume shop. You know, we've had people come to us. We're talking to us about anything from wallpaper to luggage. Perfume shop. Perfume? perfume. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. Sorry, carry on. Right, uh, to finish off, our producer says we have to ask you a question about uh, West Ham, which is apparently a football club, as it's good for <laughs> ratings. Uh, he's given me two questions for you to answer or not answer. The first one is um, Dimitri Payet. Uh, is he staying at the club? I sincerely hope so. I mean, what a magical player. He has transformed our season. Uh, you know, as there are some great players, but, you know, in terms of going to West Ham and watching, you can tell I'm obviously a big fan, watching amazing football... Um, I think he genuinely loves the club. I mean, obviously, when you've got amazing players that continue to be amazing, there's always a risk. But, um, you know, I, I sincerely hope he does stay with us. Right. Something I'd like to see myself. Uh, is the new stadium at Stratford going to be called the Anne Summers Stadium? Well, it should be, shouldn't it? That would be fantastic. Um, uh, I think... You know, it's it's interesting, isn't it, to see what the... Might uh, actually get me to turn up to a football match. Really? Oh, well, maybe I'll life. have to so have a word. First, time, first time I'll go to a football match, so there we go. I think it'll be too expensive for Anne Summers, to be honest. I also have a question mm -hmm. from my sports reporter. Um, do you have a timeline for selling off the club? Do you know, I... I I, I'm first of all I'm not the chairman I am the chairman I am the CEO of Anne Summers so I, I know you're trying to push me for uh, um, secrets uh, behind the scenes but you know gen genuinely I know that David Sullivan and my father David Gold absolutely love West Ham um, yeah I am sure that they would welcome in investment but you know they absolutely love this club and I have never heard of any plans to be selling it off Okay, well, Jacqueline Gold, thank you very much for coming in today. Well, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. With thanks to Jacqueline Gold, this has been City AM Unregulated. On next week's show, crowdfunding, we explore the 21st century way of funding a startup. 